0: as always, we just have to ask our brother, Brian, do you have just one more, my brother, for us? We'd be so grateful. Okay, Brian, we're ready, brother. Thank you. Oli is on a plane from Chicago to Minneapolis. Okay, got it? Sitting next to him is a beautiful blonde lady. They get talking and Oli asks the lady, why are you going to Minneapolis? She said, I'm going to live here because Minneapolis is full of the most handsome men in the world. The two most handsome groups of people are Norwegians and Indians. A little later in the conversation, she asked him, by the way, what is your name? And he answers, my name is Oli Redfeather. (laughs) (laughs) And and one more
1: quick one-liner here.
0: This is just what Oli would do. Oli told his friends that when he dies, he wants to be cremated and his ashes scattered in the Walmart parking lot. (coughs) Why do you want that, they asked. Oli replied, because I know my wife will visit me at least three times a week. (laughs) (laughs) I think we need to thank God for Brother Brian. Y'all, I have some more here. Now I have a question for you. Think back with me. Where were you in September of 1969? Can you think back that far? 51 years ago this month. September 1969, I walked onto the campus of Trinity College in Deerfield, Illinois, for two reasons. My father had gone to Trinity College when it was in Chicago, and if it was good enough for Dad, it was good enough for me. He'd gone there because he needed to prepare for missionary service. I admit I wasn't going there for that reason. Uh, There was a second reason. It's not what you think. The second reason was Trinity College that year was for the first time going to start intercollegiate soccer. Now, I came back from Haiti as a missionary kid, and I couldn't bounce a basketball. I couldn't figure out what you do with this funny ball that's pointed on both ends, football, but I could play soccer. And so when I found out that Trinity was going to start soccer, that sealed it for me. And I didn't care who coached it, I just wanted to play. But that man became a very good friend of mine and a mentor to me. And for 51 years, from time to time, Coach and I still connect. And you're wondering, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it didn't have anything to do with anything until an hour and a half ago or so. And I'm walking out this door and Barb Ogney gets excited about almost anything. But she's walking along with her husband and she's got two, what appears to me to be, very young people walking along with her. And they approach me and she introduces them to me and all of a sudden I see a young version of Coach. It's his son, born that September, if I understand correctly. Come, my brother, and bring your wife. Where's that microphone? Here we go. And by my sophomore year... Her first day, I met a beautiful girl who became my wife. Well, Coach had some children that needed a babysitter once in a while, and we said, amen. You go on out and have dinner. We'll sit with this little guy who couldn't even walk. And so here he is. And would you tell these dear folks, the both of you, who in the world are you and where have you been?
2: (laughs) We'd love to thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. I was born in December 69, so I was all of three months, you know, later. And I'm sure, yeah, it was beautiful. So I am uh, really grateful for this crazy opportunity to be able to just share a little bit about ourselves. You know, I'm so thankful for my heritage. And really, it's a Christian heritage. And as I was just thinking about, um, you know, the impact that that's made on me, I just wanted to share a couple of connections with you so my um my grandfather <coughs> my uh was uh was worked for the free church he was a free church pastor and he was at the end of his career he was a district superintendent so when uh my grandfather among other things they planted a camp timberley in wisconsin and at some point along the way they hired a man named brian ogney to lead that camp and Brian Ogden made sure the gospel was being shared regularly at the camp. And when I was in third grade, I attended that camp that my grandfather had impacted, that Brian worked at, and I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior Amen. at that camp. Isn't that cool? The Amen. impact of heritage. You know, on the, um, on the other side of it, uh, my, yeah, my grandfather on my mom's side, he was a Kangas. Some of you might know that name, okay? <laughs> they attended Bethel, uh, was it Free Church, Bethel yep. Church, Bethel Free Church, and my grandfather was just a faithful Sunday school teacher for as long as I remember, I think for a very long time, and one of the things, my, gran- my grandma passed away when I was still young, uh, but my grandfather lived right next door to us, and one of my very early memories was my grandfather just simply reading his Bible in his study that was, like, directly across from my window. And I'd wake up and, and get ready for, you know, school each day, and I'd watch my grandpa just read. And I'd ask him every once in a while, what are you reading? It's like, the Bible. Like, have you read the whole thing five times? <clears throat> and when my grandpa um, got older and he was ready to pass, he gave each of his grandchildren a Bible. Amen and he uh one year bible and he challenged each of us to read through it and that renewed my spiritual life that was in college for me and i i became on fire because it was the first time that i had personally spent time in the word and it was because of my uh my grandfather amen so um and then right (laughs) march of this year i get a email from my dad right and he says this my children I continue to be blessed each day with Doug Anderson's Walking with Jesus devotional. To hear his voice proclaim his message is just awesome. He is starting a 30-day walk leading up to Easter. Doug brings such insight. I am encouraging each of you to carve out 10 minutes each day and join this walk with me. And we did it. And so it's just my dad, right, my grandfathers. um, I've just left such a a spiritual impact on me, and I'm so grateful. And you guys, I'm sure are doing the same on your families, it's beautiful. Amen. Nick, yes. My grandfather's yeah. Nick. Angus, yeah. hey.
0: So who's this special girl standing next to you, and where have you been the last 10 years in particular? Yes. So
2: 1993, uh, Ann and I were married. We attended Wheaton College together. She was from Salt Lake City, Utah. It's not a Mormon. <laughs> My mom made sure of that. <coughs> But I wouldn't let her go back. And so uh, we were married, and we've had quite an adventure since then, and especially the last
0: few years.
3: Um, Doug asked me today if I had such a rich spiritual heritage as my husband Rick did.
0: Hold it up real close. Hold it up.
3: Doug Doug asked me if I had such a rich spiritual heritage as my husband Rick does. Um, And I don't. But um, God is faithful. When I, uh, my parents were born and raised in the Catholic Church, and they um, became personally relate, um, had a personal relationship with Jesus um, when I was about seven, there was a man who um, felt like he had a word from the Lord. He was from Virginia, and he moved to the town where my mom lived um, because he felt called to to church plant in that community. Um, So he started by sending a flyer out and asking people to join a Bible study. Well, my mom was desperate for something meaningful in her life, and she attended the Bible study, and she became a Christian um, through his ministry. Um, His church plant failed, and nothing came of it, and he ended up moving back to his hometown thinking that nothing came of of his ministry in, in the town where my mom lived. Well, my mom became a Christian, and then my dad did, and then my mom's whole side of the family, and then my dad's whole side of the family there's five of us in our family, five kids. We are all walking with the Lord. Um, my mom led Bible study fellowship for many, many years, and um, she's an evangelist and brought many people to know the Lord. So I'm really thankful for that. Um, Amen. Yeah. Amen. Because of the faithfulness of one man who thought his ministry failed. <laughs> wow. wow. Um, so, in the last and uh, over the last ten years, Rick and, uh, Rick and I have had the opportunity of living in Kenya. We serve with a ministry called Oasis for Orphans, and we are passing the good news of Jesus along to, the chil- to children in Kenya. We take care of orphaned children. We started when we arrived there um, 10 years ago with about 60 children, and we now have 350 kids in our program. We have um, three different children's home projects in three different cities, and then we have an outreach to high school, college, and vocational training students. Um, Just before we left, we arrived in the U.S. about a month ago and just before we came back um, at the children's home that I'm the director at, um, I hired a new employee. His name is Edward and he actually grew up at our children's home and went through our whole program, graduated from university and is now giving back. He's a house father and is one of the accountants at one Mm. of our children's homes. So another legacy is starting At the children's home where we work, um, through Edward, so we're thankful for that.
0: Would you join me in praying for these two dear people and their family? Lord Jesus, uh, as we gather this evening for a last time together, it's only natural that all of us think about our heritage that has gone before us and the descendants who follow us. I had no idea how you wanted to help make that come alive to us tonight, but you already knew. And these two dear, may I call them young people, (laughs) help us recognize how important every day is as grandparents and parents, and even a man who believes he's heard a word from God and travels all across the country from Virginia to Utah to start a church and then leaves that town sometime later feeling a failure but he planted seeds while he was there that decades later a daughter is in africa birthing a ministry for orphans and leading them to jesus and a coach has a son who's becoming a counselor to help broken hearted people and we give you praise god for what you've done in this family and how you've shown us the importance of a legacy heritage Could we ask you to bless them greatly, please, O God, as they go on in these next days to what is next in your plan for them, and please continue to bless their ministries and their family as they continue to pass on the heritage. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you you so much. Oh, it's such a treat to have you here. Thank you, Brother Bird. So I'll put these last bookmarks on this front row just in case at the end you'd like some. Oh my, this has been such... Yes, ma'am. Rick and Ann Smith. I guess I just called him Coach because that's all he is. But he's Coach Larry Smith, Smith. Rick and Ann Smith. This has just been a privilege for me beyond what you could imagine when I received the call from Brother Matt um, I had heard of Gull Lake and of course I've heard about this place from dear folks who love this place but I'd never ever thought I'd have the privilege of standing on this platform and opening God's Word to a group of people so thank you for being part of this very special week and I trust that God has been touching your heart we have one more letter left the letter E (coughs) The outline that you have in front of you shows you two words that I've chosen, and it's by intention. You'll remember the wisest man in the world wrote about seasons, that in our lives there are seasons. There's a beginning and an end of seasons. <laughs> I'm feeling the chill in the air now that I live in Florida. You guys probably feel it pretty chilly too as compared to Africa. A season is ending, summer and starting. Our five days together, or four days together, that season is coming to an end. The first word I've chosen, as you can see, is the word epilogue. It used to be that most books or television shows or movies had an epilogue at the end. It's kind of a summary statement about what it, would, what it was all about. We're going to look tonight at two great men in the Bible who communicated epilogues at the end of their lives. Do you see the little paragraph I wrote for you? All seasons have a beginning and an end. We conclude our restored journey as Jesus draws us to consider an epilogue of reflection. What have we learned together in these days? What work has the Holy Spirit been doing in us? What difference will this journey make in the future? That's the really important question. Now I see a typographical error right here. The second word that's in bold should be the word knows. Time knows no halt or change. It advances, carrying us along into what's next. We are propelled forward into a world in great need of spiritually restored people who can engage our culture with godly wisdom, live compassionate courage in a world increasingly hostile to followers of Jesus, infuse hope into confused and conflicted relationships. I've just described the dear couple that was just standing before us (laughs) and bring Jesus into every segment of the society we touch wherever we live. May I tell you that paragraph took me about 45 minutes to write because as I ruminated on what I sensed God was saying into my heart, it just worked over and over and over again so would you read it with me let's read it together we are propelled forward into a world in great need of spiritually restored people who can engage our culture with godly wisdom live compassionate courage in a world increasingly hostile to followers of Jesus infuse hope into confused and conflicted relationships and bring Jesus into every segment of the society we touch wherever we live. I'm going to give you eight powerful, I believe, God-honoring life principles that I glean from Joshua and from Paul at the end of their lives. Here's the first. God is always faithful to his character, his word, his promises, you see the next word, his warnings, and his people. As Joshua came to the end of his life, you remember the story of Joshua, and you remember that he gathered the people together first in Joshua chapter 21. Let me just get there real quickly. I didn't have it marked. Here we go. Pardon me, Joshua chapter 23. And you see there that he says, not one of all the Lord's good promises has failed. He says, and I read to you from Joshua 23, be very strong and be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land. And then Joshua says, Every promise of the Lord has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. First major life principle, you can trust God to be faithful, right? To his word, his promises. But you see, I added the word there, his warnings. Oh, the people wanted to celebrate that God had been faithful to his promises in their 40 years of wandering, and they could trust him going forward. They didn't want to hear the warnings. Just like America doesn't want to hear the warnings. Just like maybe some in your family don't want to hear the warnings. But you can't have one without the other, isn't that true? Oh, we want God's blessing, but we prefer to not hear the warnings. But God is very clear, isn't he? All through history, if you're going to be my people, then I need to give you some warnings about what will happen if you turn away from me. Or if you follow other gods. Now look back in your family heritage. Do you see some who have maybe turned away and suffered the pain of that? Do you see that God has been faithful to his word and his promises in your family, your family tree? Do you see how important it is that we hear God's warnings? The second life principle, I will serve that which I cherish. Now think about that a minute. It sounds simple, but it's deeply profound. Whatever it is that captures your heart, you will pursue that. You'll find time in your busy schedule for that which you love. You'll find money in your thin budget For that which you love, right? So Joshua, in the 24th chapter now, is at the end of his life and he gathers the people together. And you'll remember he says, now choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your forefathers on the other side of the river or the gods of those who've been around us as for, say it with me, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Do you remember that a generation before, as Moses was near the end of his life, he did the same thing with the parents of those who were standing in front of Joshua. And he said to them, now choose life so that you and your children may live. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. <laughs> Listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life Joshua had heard it and he made a decision that day I'm going to do that now at the end of his life many years later he's saying the same thing only differently decide what or who will capture your heart because that which you cherish you will serve now look back in your life is that true That which you cherish, you have served. That's why it's so important. Remember we spoke about it, was it this morning or yesterday, about the filters that protect our minds and our hearts from the incessant attack of the dark kingdom to try to contaminate you and your descendants. Filter, nurture, food, and flee if you have to. But make sure that you are cherishing only that which honors God and will help you, because you will serve that which you cherish. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, writes two powerful letters, and I would like us to consider a few things in the very last letter that he actually dictated. You'll see it's the number three there. Nurture the godly DNA you inherit. You just heard it from Rick and Ann a moment ago as they described to you the godly DNA that they inherited. You didn't buy it in a store. You didn't go and get it from Amazon. You were born into it. And I'm delighted to hear that you cherish it. And I would imagine you many times have asked your parents and even your grandparents, tell me the stories again. Because there will be descendants from you that you want to say, now you never met these dear ancestors of yours, but let us tell you about them. Because you've been born into their godly DNA. So think about it. What is the godly DNA that you were born into? How far back do you know in your family? Your grandparents? Your great grandparents? Your great great grandparents? Have you ever built a family tree? May I suggest this as a very interesting project? As far back as you know, write down the names of your family tree and then next to each name, a word or a phrase that describes their character, their reputation as you know it, especially from a spiritual standpoint. And then when there are those who were not godly people, Go ahead and put in a word or a phrase that describes what you've heard about them. And then put a phrase next to your name. How would you like to be known when your descendants build a family tree and put your name there? Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and he says in verse 3, I thank my God whom I serve as my, what's the word? forefathers did. You see the ancestry? With a clear conscience, as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. Don't you love it? And Paul is able to say, I see in you the godly DNA of two generations that you were born into. Timothy, cherish that. Celebrate that. Nurture that. Protect it. If I was to meet your grandchildren or your grandnieces and your grandnephews and I was able to ask them, would you talk to me about the godly DNA that you have been born into? would big smiles come on their faces and would they name your names and say, just let me tell you about them. It's never too late. You still have a little more time to nurture the godly DNA. De- and it's possible that you were born into a pagan family and the godly DNA started with you. Amen. Amen. Number four, turn it over. Guard and share the godly wisdom that you have learned. 13th verse of that first chapter, What you have heard from me, Timothy, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. 2 Timothy 2.2 And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust those things to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. If you have your pencil put next to that, the number four and the word gen, G-E-N, G E gen. Here's what it means. Four generation discipleship. That's what Paul says here. Timothy, I have entrusted to you Some powerful, godly wisdom. Treasure it. But don't keep it to yourself. Turn around and entrust it to reliable men. That's generation number three, who will themselves turn it around and pass it on to somebody else. That's generation four. Four Four-generation discipleship. Now, you see my question that I wrote for you there? Other than family, who have most influenced you with their wisdom? How have you nurtured it? Who are you passing this God-honoring wisdom to? I think I've shared with you that my dear father at 93, now nearly blind with macular degeneration, sometimes says to me on the phone, Doug, I have no purpose in life anymore. I'm spending what little inheritance I have for you here at Fairhaven. It's worth what I'm paying, but... I'm just ready to go home and be with Jesus and you can have what little is left. And I say, dad, dad, you're the wisest man I know. Your value to me and our family is your wisdom that you have learned in the long journey of 93 years of living. (laughs) When finally I've learned from you all that God wants me to learn so I can be who I need to be for my family, God's gonna take you home. Be prepared, you may have to live to be 200 years old. My dear friends, your greatest value on this planet is not your estate, whatever it is. It's not the trophies that you might have in your home of your accomplishments or your awards. Your greatest value to us is what you have learned in the journey of life with Jesus. Your wisdom. Please don't die before you share it especially with your family. Four-gen discipleship. Then Timothy says, uh, pardon me, Paul says to Timothy, I paraphrased it for him, you see it there, choose your friends wisely, (laughs) Timothy, because affection opens the soul to influence. Listen to... Chapter 2, verse 22. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. (laughs) So that sophomore year of college of mine, uh, as I am enjoying my soccer life with Coach Smith, I meet this amazing, beautiful young freshman. Her first day... My first day of my sophomore year, and we end up in the cafeteria together with our trays looking for a place to sit, and we sit at the same table. Hi, I'm Doug. Who are you? I'm Dawn. Where are you from, Dawn? Brookfield, Illinois. Wonderful. How about you? Well, I'm a missionary kid. I've lived all over the place. And she reached for her tray. I said, it's okay. It's okay. I've not only lived in one place. How many other places have you lived? She said, I've only lived in one place my whole life. I'd never met a person like that before. But school hadn't yet started. It was orientation week, and so there was nothing else to do. So after dinner, I said, well, let's go sit in the student union and watch some TV. Well, guess what I was looking for the next night at dinner? Where is that pretty blonde girl that we could sit together again and have dinner and maybe go watch some more television? By the end of the week, we kind of had something going, Brother Bert. But I knew all the upperclassmen were coming back. So I said, Don, could we agree that let's just give this a little more time and see where it might go? We just celebrated number 47, the years of marriage, so we're still giving it a little time to see where this thing might go. So in those days, Trinity College and other colleges, they had the guy's dorm and the girl's dorm and cameras because if you were a guy and you walked into the girl's dorm, you were going to jail. But on Sunday afternoons, once in a while, We would have open dorms. Now, of course, all the RAs and other people were watching very carefully, and the door had to stay open in the room and so on. So I was very anxious to see, how does this girl live? So I went into the girl's dorm at her invitation, went to her room, and I looked in, and I said, this is not your room. She said, well, of course it's my room. Why do you say that the towels were hanging perfectly on the rack? The bedspread was just perfect. Well, okay, if it's your room, you don't live like this. Well, of course I live like this, don't you? (laughs) And I was in trouble. There was no way I could get back to my room and clean it up. In that year, there were so many students, Trinity College didn't have room for all of them. So there were what we called suites in the guys' dorm, four bedrooms, one big bathroom, and a little sitting room in the middle. Three guys in each room, that's 12 guys. And we're all athletes. You're right, the smell was more than you could imagine unless you lived there. So she comes over to see my room and she walks in takes one step in and looks around and steps out. This couldn't possibly be your room. Well, (laughs) I'm sorry, it's me and 11 other guys who live do you live like this all the time? You know, there's sweaty socks hanging around and moms weren't doing our laundry. And none of us had girlfriends to do our laundry. And we didn't know how to do laundry. So you just keep turning the socks inside out. And And Coach Smith was running our legs off. So in the middle of the winter, we had to sleep with the windows open. Otherwise, you'd suffocate in the smell in there. Well, guess what? I'm now the neatest guy you've ever known in your life. (laughs) I hang the... Guys, do you know that you're supposed to actually wipe the sink out when you're finished washing your hands and get all the water spots out. I, I, knew, I never knew anybody did that before. You shine the little spigot water. Do you know why? Because love influences your behavior. And I determined I'd like to be a lot more than, like her than her be a lot more like me. And I opened up my heart to her and I changed a lot. Have you ever run out of gas? Somewhere along the line, my dear wife must have run out of gas with her family. Because as we're dating, just a little Volkswagen, remember those wonderful little cars? Every once in a while, she'd lean over like this. I thought she was leaning over for a kiss. No, no, she was, she was leaning over to check the gas gauge. W- what are you looking at, the gas gauge? Why? Just looking. And what I learned was once it reaches half, for dawn, it's empty. Find the next gas station right now. Sweetheart, in America, there's a gas station on every corner. Well, yeah, but you you just never know. Honey, there's 200 more miles in the tank. It's a Volkswagen. Well, well, I I would just feel a lot better if you just pull in at that. (laughs) Now, I can either get real frustrated about that, or I can say, thank you, God, I'm never going to run out of gas. (laughs) Do you see what I wrote for you? Choose your friends wisely Because affection opens the soul to influence. Do you agree with that? Now that's wisdom you can pass on to your kids and your grandkids because the power of peer pressure is huge. Huge, especially for teenagers. In these days, the power of social media pressure. Look at the next one. Cherish God's scriptures. They are lifelong wisdom. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 says, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. For all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that... The man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Cherish God's scriptures. They are lifelong wisdom. Have you found that to be true? At this stage of life, they are still precious and powerful. So as I finished at Calvary Community Church and God opened the door for me to join team and I moved down to Murraville, Tennessee, We started attending a church there that had a powerful Wednesday evening prayer meeting. And I love prayer meetings, and I am attending, and I'm regularly hearing them talk about this person, Clem. Who is Clem? Oh, you need to meet Clem someday. Well, why doesn't this Clem come here? No, she is pretty much an invalid, lives about 25 miles out of town, can't drive anymore. Does she accept visitors? Sure, here's her number. So I called her, Clem, I've heard so much about you, could I come visit you? Oh, I've heard about you, too. Come on. So my wife and I drive out there, and Brother Bert, we come in uh, on the driveway, and it's really just a a little field, and here's just a little house. i mean, a tiny cracker box sitting behind a pretty good-sized brick home, and this little short lady couldn't have been more than four feet tall, and she's standing in the doorway with a great big smile, Clem. So we meet Clem, and she says, uh, That used to be my house, that big brick one right there. My husband, uh, he's been gone for several years, and this was actually his work, workshop. And as he had cancer and was nearing the end of his life, he, we agreed we would sell the brick house to our grandson and his family as long as they'd keep an eye on me, because I don't want to have to move into one of those, you know, one of those, <laughs> is the way she said it. So my grandson lives there, but we also agreed to do it because my grandson has kind of strayed off the path. And I wanted to be close to pray for my grandson and his family. So welcome to my prayer cottage, she says. Now, you could put five of them in this room. That's how small it is. So we step in, and it's really just a, a little sitting room and a little kitchen and a tiny little bathroom over here and a, and a bedroom. May I ask Clem, why did you call it your prayer cottage? Oh. When my grandson gutted the little cottage right down to the bare studs and the outer walls, I prayed, God, please, please, could you open my crippled hands? And he did. Enough that I could hold a marker, uh, like we used on the board. And I said, grandson, just wait. Don't put any insulation in until I can write. Uh, What are you going to write, Grandma? God's Word. So she says, uh, you are surrounded where you're standing by Psalm 119. I said, did you mean Psalm 117? No, no, no. Psalm 119. You know it's the longest psalm in the Bible. 175 verses. Every verse between the studs. How long did that take you? Oh, about a week. Come with me. We went into her bedroom. Oh. She said, this is the upper room. John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Every word. She had one little guest room with a little twin bed. Come with me. This is the great room of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and every other verse I could find on faith that could fit between the studs. Then she said, God is here. It's not hard for me to pray. Hours a day surrounded by the scriptures. She said, the day after I wrote the last verse, The next morning, I woke up in the morning, and my hands had curled up again, and I couldn't even open my fingers. Now think about that. We lived there about a year. My guess is at least three or four times. Hello, Clem. Would you mind if I came over for a little while and sit in the prayer cottage with you? My wife and I would go, and we would just pray. A worn-out old chair where she used to sit and a couple of TV trays with missionary prayer cards and a Bible that she could turn the page like this. So how much do you treasure this book and what's written in it? You heard what Brother Rick said about his grandfather. Do you have a picture like that? Where in the morning, when you came bounding in, you interrupted your mother who was praying, or your father who was reading, or a grandparent, or an uncle, or somebody, and you thought, will I ever have an appetite for God's word like that? Do you? Do you have young ones who have known you as a parent, or an aunt, or an uncle, or a grandparent? And in their minds, this, is the most precious pieces of paper in the world for you. And what's written in it is sacred to you. Cherish God's scripture. It's lifelong wisdom. Two more. I hear Paul in his old age saying to Timothy, proclaim God's truth Strategically. You know these verses, chapter 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared, Timothy, in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn aside from the truth and turn to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship if you must and do the work of an evangelist, discharging all the duties of your ministry." Somebody asked me earlier this evening, when this coronavirus thing is finally over, do you think the people will go back to church once again? Or are there many who have just grown accustomed to attending church with a coffee cup and still in their bathrobe or their pajamas? And if they don't like the message, just flip it over to another channel. Or they don't particularly like the music, go find some other music. What do you think? When... Paul wrote that or dictated it, they will gather around them those who will say what their itching ears want to hear. That's exactly what it meant. They would go around and listen to the teachers. Who do I like to listen to? Now you don't have to go. You can just sit in the comfort of your chair. Isn't that true? And just search the internet or the television or your cell phone to find who do you like to listen to? Who tickles your ears? May I thank you that you haven't ask me to tickle your ears this week. We've dug into the Word of God together, haven't we? We've asked God to challenge us, to look deeply into our souls and help us see what He sees that's there because we don't want to die like this. We want to finish well and strong and vibrant and healthy and leave a legacy behind that will challenge our descendants. Do you agree with that? And the very last one. Live your life With your epilogue in view. Hmm. Live your life with your epilogue in view. What I mean by that is it's very likely you will have days, weeks, maybe months with hospice. And you know the end is near, but it won't come quickly. I've sat at the bedside of hundreds of people like that. Not one time yet has somebody said, will you bring me please the Wall Street Journal and tell me how did the markets do today? Not once. What I have heard is, would you just read to me about heaven? I'll be there soon. Would you make sure that my children and my grandchildren know how much I have loved God's word? When I had the privilege of serving Calvary Community Church in eight years, I think I did 102 funerals. And I don't remember where along the line that it was, but I remember it like it was yesterday. His name was Bill Perkins, and he called me one day. He says, I don't know if you know, Pastor, but I was your dad's best friend when he was a young man. Do you have a minute to come over to the house? And I went over, he said... uh, I'd like you to think about the fact that if your father had not gone to the mission field, you would have grown up right here on this land in a house that your dad would have built. But what are you talking about? Your father owned this land. It had been given to him, or maybe sold for a dollar, from his father, who lived right up the hill. And his father, your grandfather, was hoping that your father would plant roots right here and raise his family right here. And be in the building business with him. And your father called me one day to say, Bill, God is calling us to be missionaries in Haiti. And he has challenged my heart. I need to cut the apron strings. What? I'm going to the poorest place in the Western Hemisphere. And it's not going to be easy. And there are going to be days that I'm going to question, did I make a terrible mistake? Maybe I should just go back and build that little house on that land and live in little Williams Bay, Wisconsin the rest of my life. But I want to know that when I'm out there and it's tough, there's no land to go back to because I sold it to somebody else. That's what I mean by cut the apron strings. There's no going back. Bill, I'd like you to have the land. Now, I have no idea what he sold it for. It might have been $25. I have no idea. But Bill looked right at me, and he said, if your father had not done that, I know some of the tough stuff he went through, and my guess is he might have come back and built his little house right here, and you would have been raised up here in Williams Bay instead of Port-au-Prince Haiti. I got back to the office. I called my dad. I have a question to ask. I just heard a story. Is this true? He'd never told me that before. Yes, he said it's true. A few months later, Bill Perkins dies. Bill has two sons my age. I didn't know them well. Uh, They never came to church. I sat at Bill's bedside many times reading his Bible to him. He just loved to hear God's word. And this thought came to me. There's no message I could possibly bring for Bill's two sons better than his own Bible. So I took his Bible, and I spent three days in his Bible. I went through every single page of Bill's Bible. I looked at everything that he'd written in the margins, everything he'd underlined. God, would you please show me what's going to be most powerful for his family and his friends? So when I got up with his casket right there, opened up Bill's Bible, Listen to what Bill would like you to know. Wow, wow. And at every funeral I've ever done since that day, that's what I've done. Now, I got to the end, and I felt this stirring in my spirit that the Holy Spirit was saying, give the Bible to the boys. What? So I closed the Bible, stepped down off the pulpit like this, I said to the sons, I have no idea what the estate is that your father has left to you, but this is the single most valuable thing that your father will leave to you, and I handed it to Russ. Well, the tears are spurting out of Russ's eyes, you can imagine, and he took it trembling. Russ and Wayne were in church the next Sunday. Their lives changed that day as they held the legacy of their father, God's word, their father's Bible, realizing that there was very few things that their father treasured more than God's word. Live every day the rest of your life with the end of your life in view. When you're laying there reflecting on your life, what do you want to remember? Now, we can't go back, any of us. We can't redo the past. That's in God's hands. But we have yet some more life to live starting right now. Live every day the rest of your life with your epilogue in view and leave to those who love you and know you a God-honoring legacy. Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you and we thank you for your word and how it has spoken to us this week. We thank you for worship and how it has drawn us into your presence this week. We thank you for young people like the two we just met this evening and the heritage that they celebrate and what they've done with their lives thus far and how they're passing that on to their children. I lift before you, O God, every person in this room. For whatever days, months, weeks, years they have remaining, I'm asking, O God, that you would bless them greatly and help them live every day the rest of their lives with their epilogue in view. Now, as we worship God to close our time together, we thank you for the Gettys, and I thank you for leading me to another song today. And then, as Brother Bert closes our time, this has been precious, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I get an email from my daughter in Africa, a few days ago, Dad, here's a new Getty song that I think you would really appreciate. And I think it fits just perfectly. As you think about, probably you're not going to be going overseas anymore, but where you leave here tomorrow and go back to, the people there are just in much of a need of someone who loves Jesus as the people in China or in Africa. So watch this powerful song as they sing, and then Brother Bert is going to close our time. I'm going to move this a little bit.